Dang, dude, parent-teacher conferences, you just listen to what he has to say. Yeah. When he's got the double sleeves and the finger tattoos and, like... Yeah. I love it. When I love the part, too, when Eric, like, looks out the window at the beginning, he's like, that guy's huge. Welcome to the What's Up Ready Podcast, where we fashion ourselves cinematic judge and jury. My name is JJ Crutter. I'm here with my co-hosts, Matt and Heiner. Better red than dead. And Alec Burgess. Let's get it. We appreciate you tuning in. Go ahead and hit that follow, subscribe, like, bell notification button. Tell a friend about us. Tell an enemy, an enemy about us. Tell your doctor about us. Tell your librarian about us. Shit, man, let's get real. Do we even have libraries still in this country? I mean, I think there's like one or two left. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, I think there's a really nice one close to my house, but I've never been in it. (laughs) (laughs) Put all that shit on my phone anymore. Anyway, we appreciate you tuning in. We're here to talk about Knock at the Cabin. It was released February 3rd, 2023. It was written and directed by M. Night Shyamalan based on a book by Michael Sherman, I believe. I don't remember. Anyway. I am looking forward to reading the book, though. It stars Dave Bautista, Jonathan Groff, Rupert Grint, Nikki Amuka Bird, Ben Aldridge, Abby Quinn, Kristen Q, McKenna Kerrigan, and Ian Merrill Peaks. While vacationing, a girl and her parents are taken hostage by armed strangers who demand that the family make a choice to avert the apocalypse. This is a relatively new movie, so if you haven't seen this movie, you want to avoid spoilers, now's the time to pause the podcast. Go check out the movie. Come back, pick up where you left off. If you're not worried about spoilers, cool, hang out with us. But we are about to spoil the shit out of this thing. So let's talk about this movie. I am going to take a step back because I think I might surprise people with my opinion on this movie. But I want to hear your guys' thoughts on this movie. Like, what did you think? What are your were your knee-jerk reactions? It was very interesting. So I think you already know mine, JJ, but I'm happy to go first. But I feel like we never let Alec go first. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the guy did touch his nose, so I'll I'll, uh, I'll let you go first, Matson, and give him a reprieve. So TLDR, I like the movie. I enjoyed the movie. Like it, the the pace of the movie, I think it was pretty well put together. Like I don't really the visuals, the some of the suspense and things of that nature. I liked it, but maybe it's just because I was talking to my my friend and boss about this. Maybe it's because it was M Night Shyamalan, and I had expectations from other things that he's done that. The movie was very straightforward to me. By the end, I, I felt like I knew what was going to happen. The problem being the family dichotomy. There was the two guys and their little girl. I knew the movie in the book, like it would have been progressive to be, hey, we're going to sacrifice our, what, seven, eight-year-old or 10-year-old sure. daughter out of this. So I just, I threw that aside immediately because I was like, I just don't see Hollywood picking up that kind of movie. Like, there's probably <laughs> yeah. no way. Yeah, and then just the, the the relationship between both of the dads, I could just tell early on. Especially, it confirmed it when he said he saw the light in like the person in the mirror or whatever. I just knew I was like, okay, like he's going to sacrifice himself at the end or something. And so, even knowing those things, I still liked the journey. Quite enjoyed Dave Bautista's character and basically the four horsemen and what they had to bring. And I guess the twist was that they were the four horsemen, and I didn't fully think about that. And when it was brought to my attention, I was like, Oh, that's, that's cool. But I, I was never one of my other coworkers who watched this, who really liked it was still kind of like, Hey, is what they're showing on TV? Is it real? Is it not real? I just always felt it was real. I didn't think it was, it wasn't real. So 
if that was supposed to be like the big twist, like going back and forth, I never had it or knowing who was supposed to kill themselves, who was going to sacrifice themselves, never had that either. So to me, it was just more straightforward. I was waiting for the typical M. Night Shyamalan thing to just kind of like smack me, be like, oh, snap, like didn't see that coming. (laughs) Never had that for me. And because of that, it wasn't what I expected. And so I was disappointed. I don't know if that's the right word. I just, it didn't hit in the way that I thought it was going to. So an intriguing subject matter, asking yourself, what would you do in that position and how would you react and things, but more straightforward than I was hoping for. Fair enough. Alec, what about you, buddy? My turn. Okay. I felt this was peak M. Night sing-along songs. (laughs) It got to the point where I was like, just just a little different. And this movie's like full-on perfect. Hmm. Um, But it's almost like he comes into this and he's got such a great kind of twist going. And I don't know if it's the book that messed it up or if it was just M. Night Snickerdoodles that did it, but... Like the four horsemen thing was brilliant until you didn't have the actual things that the four horsemen cause sure. the plagues or whatever that come through. And I was like, missed opportunity, especially with the characters that you've built up to this point. And so I'll talk about it, you know, when we kind of get there in the outro, what I would have done differently. But I was sitting there going, I was like, you motherfucker, you were this goddamn close. <laughs> Once again, you were this goddamn close. And it's almost like he, he, like has this great idea and then he just stops and moves on to the next project. But I, I enjoyed the concept, the twist. Dave Bautista is making some moves, which is awesome. Great performer, great actor. And he is just so fun to watch on screen. I love the fact that he played kind of like a mild mannered individual when the dude is built like a fucking Mack truck. Uh, what was he, a second grade teacher? Or something? Yeah, like, second grade teacher and a basketball coach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, dang, dude, parent-teacher conferences, you just listen to what he has to say. Yeah, when he's got the double sleeves and the finger tattoos and like, yeah, I love it. What I love the part too, when Eric like looks out the window at the beginning, he's like, that guy's huge. <laughs> yeah, so I enjoyed it, but I, there was like, I was sitting there going, are, are you kidding me? I could fix this movie right now and make it so much better. Mm-hmm but I, I still enjoyed it. I was like, oh, I think it's the Four Horsemen as soon as they, you know, kind of got started into their thing. And I was like, nah, it's not right. And then it showed up because like, motherfucker. <laughs> I was right, by second guess myself. Yeah. But I enjoyed it. Interesting. I'm so torn on this movie. And it's such an M. Night Shyamalan thing for me. Like, let me quantify this a little bit by saying my big problem with M. Night Shyamalan. And that is, he absolutely knocked it out of the park with Unbreakable, like hooked me. I was like, this is one of the greatest written movies ever. It's weird. It's strange. You don't know what the hell's going on. This dude's just really strong. And the twist with Samuel Jackson being like the superhero loved it. And then you follow it with the sixth sense has probably got the greatest twist in cinematic history period, because it was so good. I was just going to say, I was, I was blown away the first, when I watched, I still remember being like, oh, he's dead. Yeah. Well, we all know how I do with twists. And that one, like, I barely watched the end of the movie because I was so flabbergasted by the fact that this dude was dead, right? Like, killed me. I was like, holy shit. This was the greatest trick of the mind on the planet. And then he followed it up with Unbreakable, which had a great twist that wasn't quite as 
obviously shocking, like holy shit moment, but it was like, that's a cool freaking concept of what it's going on. So he gets these two and then he just kind of fell off the map for me. Like signs was like, eh, for me, like I was like, eh, whatever. I love that movie, but uh, it's like, it's okay. Yeah. The movie's not, and this is where we start to see M night Shyamalan. He did so good with two movies that he starts to be able to pull actors. Right. So you get Joaquin Phoenix, you get uh, crazy man, Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson, but it was a letdown. Not the least of which, because he tried to give it a twist, didn't have it. Anyway, so you can go down the list with M. Night Shyamalan. He has some hit and miss movies for me. But then everything went to hell with The Village. Like, I swore I'd never watch another M. Night Shyamalan movie with The Village. Because I figured it out in 10 minutes. And the twist, even if I hadn't figured it out, dumb. And it sucked. And it wasn't very well acted, in my opinion. Because it was terribly written. Anyway, he's done some that are hit and miss with me. That's my fear with M. Night Shyamalan. I can't go in going it's going to be a decent movie because it's him. It's either going to be really good or dog shit or like this mix. And this is what this movie is for me. This mix of amazing parts with some dog shit riddled in there. Right. Like like I just was like, Oh, and I want to love this movie, but I can only like it. But what I do love, I absolutely loved. And the acting in this movie I mean, you essentially have seven people in this movie. And really, it's more like six because Rupert Grant gets whacked real early. Like, I was like, oh, shit. They're not messing around in this movie. Like, we're 15 minutes in. This dude just got wrecked. But everybody in there is playing their part believably. Like, I was uncomfortable for a lot of this movie because you're just like, once you realize the full extent, somebody's going to die every how often, however often. And the fact that it wasn't played like as a, they're doing this because they feel like they have to. And like that feeling of have to, and oh, it was just uncomfortable and they played it so well, like the shortness of breath, the freak out moments, like the just pure panic that they all had at one moment or another. I absolutely love the acting, but I'm with you, Alec. There's parts of the story where I'm like, either commit to it or just don't put it in there. Like the four horsemen of the apocalypse feels like that was an addition from the book somewhere that didn't add value to me to the movie. And I'm with you because part of it, it's like pestilence. They got it right. There was the, the flu that was wrecking people. War, okay, maybe you could talk about it was the terrorist attack on the airplane system that was dropping all the airplanes, kind of. But death and famine, where are they, right? Like, well, here's what I was looking at, right? And this is what irked me to no end. You have a nurse. Mm-hmm. She should have died first because she's a healer. When she dies, plague is released. Mm-hmm. You have mm-hmm. a chef, a chef, someone who feeds people. When she dies, uh, that's when wow. you should release famine. Then you have this, you know, Rupert Grint character who's just a asshole. When he dies, that's when you have civil war or war that's caused from pestilence and famine coming. But instead they started killing Rupert and then tidal wave. Yeah. And I was like, okay. Yeah. (laughs) So it was, it was the order. And I was like, you had all the parts there. Mm-hmm. You and but it gives it a little bit more time for Andrew to remember Rupert, and you can have a little bit more story going back and forth between these two who have a history. Yeah, 
Because at first when they figure out that, oh, I've seen this guy before, he beat me up in a bar or whatever, I was thinking, oh, well, maybe he's going to have a tie. We're going to find a tie-in with everybody else, yeah. which is why these four were chosen. And no, that didn't happen either. So I was like, well, that was kind of a wasted plot line on my point. Like, why was that part in there? <laughs> to try to hide the fact that there wasn't a twist. That's my yeah. other... Pro- so M. Night Shyamalan leans into the fact that he's known for twists, right? So this is my second issue with him as a director and writer is he goes, everybody thinks that this movie is going to have this huge twist because that's what I do. So what he did with this one to hide the fact that there wasn't really a twist or the twist was that it was real. He had to create doubt in the fact that it was real. So he had to bring these connections in. And again, I'm sure there's things from the book that he's throwing in there, but that connection piece, that's when I realized when he said, I know Rupert Grant's character, he's the guy from the bar. I went, Oh, okay. There's no twist. This is real. This is happening. And it's, it's legit because he's trying to misdirect you to go, no, this is all fake. The twist is that they all knew each other. and It was actually, they were trying to get to him when in reality, like that's when I knew that there was, but I'm okay. I'm actually okay, but I'm with you. Like I'm even okay with the tie-ins to the group. It would have added an interesting element I like what they tried to do with it, I guess. If you take away the hiding the twist, to me, that element of they knew each other or the, because even the bar, he said he was a part-time bartender, Batista's character, right? And then the other girl was a line cook, which wouldn't have been hard for it to be in some diner that they went to one time. And then the nurse, we he got bashed in the head. How hard is it for her to be the post-op nurse when they did his, his stitches, right? So, there's obvious connection points where they could have. And I'm okay if they'd leaned into it because it makes that tension of the decision being difficult or the, Hey, we know all four of them that adds a whole nother dynamic to this decision that they have to make. Right. And mm-hmm. so for me, I wish they would have leaned even more into that and left the four horsemen piece out because what I was okay with was when they got to the end and Eric's talking about, they're the four parts of humanity, right? The caregiver, I don't remember the four that they were. Those four actually made sense to me. And I was like, that's good. It was when he said, they're the four horsemen. I'm like, say what now? He's yeah. like, come on. But I was okay with the, they're the four aspects of humanity. That made a lot of sense. But the whole thing that I say all this is all this extra shit that took away from the best part of this movie for me. And that is the, anguish of this decision from both sides of this story, right? You have these four people who are having these unfortunate visions that they feel are so real that they have to go and force a family to kill one of its members in order to save the rest of the world, knowing that they're going to have to sacrifice themselves if they can't convince someone to do the near impossible. Like, holy shit sticks, man. I'll tell you where I'm not going to JJ's house. If I was them between you and Casey alone, I just don't like my chances. I think I got that vision. I'm like, look, we're all dead. Like we are going down. The world's going to die just so you know, because for this to work, there has to be some semblance of belief in a higher power that doesn't exist in this house. So (laughs) I'd be like, Let it fucking burn, bitches. (laughs) I have a little bit of the same attitude, but oh, she was like, oh, no, I'd sell you out in a heartbeat. She's like, I'm still young. I want to live. I was like, I'm just too stubborn. Like, no, 
I'm not, I'm not going to give into this. I'm too stubborn. Jay, not even if you can see the stuff happening outside your window. No, because I don't have, I don't, I, I don't fucking care. I don't think I, well, <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to leave that part out of it. Like, I, but I think from like the perspective of like, even if I'm watching, like they open up the window and I see an airplane crash and I'm like, to me, there's just so many other explanations to that than some wild story of some assholes show up and decide that they're going to invade my home and tell me I got to choose. But if you knew by the end that there was a plague, you knew like without a doubt that that was happening and there was the airplanes dropping out of the sky. And then what was the other thing, the type, the earthquake stuff all happened on the same day. And they were saying, this is like an act from the heavens or whatever you want to call it, the cosmos. At that point, you had a no shadow of a doubt. You knew those things happened on the same day happened. Is that going to change the way you think about it? No, because That's like an M problem. Well, is it was, Damn, we're not going to change. <laughs> well, <no. laughs> and let me explain a little bit more why, besides the fact that I'm just kind of a narcissistic sociopathic <laughs> asshole. And that is that for me, like if you watch the news right now in our world, there was a giant earthquake in Syria and Turkey two days ago, mm-hmm. right? In that same day, I guarantee there were other what some people would call catastrophic events that happened in different parts of the world. Now, maybe not to the extreme of like 700 airplanes going down and for no damn reason no. whatsoever. But somewhere there's another, I guarantee there's some sort of mass murder somewhere in the world. There's some sort of maybe not as big of an earthquake or there's a series of tornadoes that I mean, crashes through the I South. I push back on that to say that these were as, these are as big as they can come. Sure. And in the extremity of the movie, I mean, you kind of have to look at it and go, that's wild. We're talking about COVID-19, a thousand planes dropping out of the sky in the, the Western seaboard has wiped out all of the West Coast of the United States and South America. And on the same day, you are not like, oh, man, that sounds like a them problem. What, no, what it like, sounds like to me is a crappy. Day. <laughs> that is a really crappy. Day. It sounds to me like something that scientifically makes sense to me. It's just that we don't pay attention as human beings. And this is the other part of this war. OK. No, I'm serious. This is the other part of this movie that really intrigued me is that it forced these three individuals, specifically the two dads, right? To pay attention to these things that are going on outside of their sphere of existence that we see and hear about every day, if you want to. Like, if you want to dig deep, there are tragic events across the world, multiple, multiple, every single day. But we don't focus on outside of our own sphere of existence. It's not in human nature most of the time. So for me, someone comes into my house and makes me, tells me I got to kill myself or they're going to kill themselves. Sorry for your luck, dude. You cannot convince me that this is some sort of cosmic, spiritual gods, God, one God. I don't, however you want to frame it, that this well, is not just an extreme version of every day. Didn't go into the Crowder household. Yeah, they wouldn't have walked out. This movie, this movie would have ended real quick. I'd have been sitting on the front porch swing going, well, sucks to suck. <laughs> Look at the pretty fires. I hope that lightning doesn't hit me. That would suck. Because, <laughs> yeah, you couldn't have convinced me that it was that they were tied together. What if, what if adding to this hypothetical scenario that you had friends or family in other parts like me and they all were like, dude, this all is happening like all over, like what's going on with that still same circumstance. You're like, nope, 
That yeah. sounds like an us problem now, Madsen. Yeah. <laughs> well, man. And again, I, I say that not because that sounds like I don't give a shit about you. I would. I'd be trying to call you. Be like, hey, dude, did you get swallowed up by the fucking tsunami in Oregon, Washington? <laughs> hey, hey, dude, guess what? I got these people at my house and I can make this decision for all this to go away. And I'd be like, and then I'd be really sad because I would be like, whoa. I know, and you wow. tell you tell me put a bullet in case he said, and I get that. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I, oh, I was gonna say actually, just like maybe like your dad or something that. Sure, that was my thought. Sure, I mean either one of my parents, you can make that argument. To be honest, I mean they're both chronically ill. And I hope they don't listen to the podcast. Shit. Oh, Here's the best part about me as a son, dude. I'd have this conversation with my parents. And be like, you two are fucked. I... <laughs> but yeah, I mean, they're both terminally ill. So at the end of the day, I mean, is it that, I mean, that makes, this is going to sound really shitty and I don't mean for it to, but in theory, that makes that decision easier. Right. But at the same time, I still have to have that belief system that ties all these things together and means that if I do this, it will all stop. And my brain goes to the place that not only do I not believe that, and I don't think I could be convinced of it, but I also would probably to Alex's point be just rebel enough to go, well, fuck it. Let's see what happens if I don't right? like the worst case scenario is everybody dies. <laughs> and then what you, who's going to be mad at I me call, at that I, point. I call BS at that point. If that actually happened and you went through that and every, we all died except your household. So there's four of you in your house and your dogs. So what that's four people, seven and three dogs, seven individual or seven beings. Yeah. You want to call it. What I thought about at the end of this movie, that intriguing thought process, let's say the two dads and their daughter went through it. That mountain of guilt that you then realize like this happened. Like, I don't know how long you're going to live after that. At least it's just what I thought about the impending crushing soul crushing guilt. No, and there's nobody left and we could have done something to save it. If we had just made that choice, that's what I thought about when I was leaving theater. Like, man, if I had followed through with that, or if like you had in your circumstance or whatever, could you really operate after the fact? Sure. I think it's easy to say yes. I really think it's easy to say yes, but when you know that, seven plus billion people have died because you didn't do anything. What's that like? I don't know. Well, I mean, obviously we'll never know. Sure. Oh no, I know. I'm I'm not saying that I would be okay. Like if it turned out to be true and I'm standing there with me, like, just like going, well, this sucks. You know what I mean? Like I think at some point I think I'd be like, well, probably should have offed somebody. You know what I mean? But at the same time, like, I'm the kind of guy that I live with those decisions. I'd be like, well, sucks to suck. And like I said, I'd probably eat a bullet because I don't want to, who's going to pump my gas or mow my lawn? Because I pay people to do that shit. So why, why I don't now I got to do it myself and eventually you're going to run out of resources. So at some point I'm not going to be here anyway after that. Oh, come on, Bill. No, I'm going to keep trying. Don't get me wrong. Like I'll, I'll, oh, yeah. uh, you and Casey can be Adam and Eve. Yeah. <laughs> Except you can't have kids. <laughs> but yeah, I get your point. And I think there would be a level of guilt there. But on the flip side, I think too, like how pissed would you be if you offed your husband or your wife or sure. you know, you take out Taylor and then you're like, oh yeah, shit's still, still going. You're like, motherfuckers. <laughs> they got me on that deal. That's why we take out Koa if we had to. Don't there tell her go. that. And I think... 
to be honest, that's what that's the, the when I left the theater, I was like, oh, I really, really like this movie, despite its flaws, because as we've shown in the last 20 minutes of this podcast, like it's thought provoking. Like there's no way around the fact that you you cannot leave that movie and not go. What would I do? How would I handle that situation? And I think that's a, to me, that's less a testament to M. Night Shyamalan and more a testament to these actors because they put you in this frame of, of reference that makes you feel for every single one of them to a degree. You're like, Oh God, what would I do? Cause I often wonder, like for me, I think this deal would have like ended badly or even worse for the world. If I'm one of those four, I'd be like, that's a shitty nightmare. I'm going to go drink my way out of that deal. You know what I mean? Like I would never have responded to, I need to go to some cabin get some couple of dudes to shoot one or the other. You know what I mean? Like I would have been like, no, staying at home, teaching my kids and coaching my foot, my basketball. Like it just would never have been, we'd all be screwed. Cause I wouldn't have gone. <laughs> <laughs> Bold of you to assume you'd be the Dave Bautista in that scenario. <laughs> well, it's fair. I'm probably more the Rupert Grant in that scenario, wow. but I feel like you'd be, Best position to be one of the four because if you somehow had those visions and you couldn't shake that doubt, you would be quite convincing as one of the four because you'd be like, "Look, I don't even want to be here. I don't believe in any of this, but so help me God, I really like going to the movies. I like food. I like my family, and I don't want to die." Yeah, I mean, it'd be interesting. Yeah, I agree with you. Like, I think I could probably be an interesting version of that but i just don't know that i'd get up off my ass and go i'm like this that's a weird shitty dream that i keep having well, i would have done a bit of state patisas i know they didn't have cell service out there but at some point towards the end if i knew i was about that be like, look let's use the wi-fi here let's just send some texts out to people and realize this is going down yeah as i exactly described that would be my hail mary i'm like look you can even have the police come right now sure let's just figure this out because I'm not trying to slit my throat. I have a philosophical question for you on this line of thinking though, Matson, because you have a perspective mm. that I am very familiar with, but one that I don't associate to. And that is when we talk about faith, if you're going to take this to like a, a place of faith, it's literally the definition is a belief in something that you can't see yet. Mm -hmm. You still have that belief. Right. And you know, you could quote scripture all day. Faith without works is dead, mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. I can go through yeah. all of them because I know them. But in that situation, what you're talking about is very true. Like it would have helped probably, right? But does it have the impact that this sacrifice sure. is looking for if you're able to, it, I call it cheat mode, right? Like you go into the mode that it, there's no way for you to argue because the one place where you get me, even in all my belligerence, like if you or someone that I really cared about called me and we're in the midst of this thing. Like you're pouring your heart out cause you're sitting on your roof and there's no end of water in sight and there's sharks swimming around you and you're having a panic attack and I can recede the water line. And I know at that point that I can, now I might think a little differently. Right. So that's to me, it defeats the whole purpose of the sacrifice. So I guess that's where, you know what I mean? Mm. I think it's in, you would believe me less because I believe in God. But if, if a, a bona fide, like if Casey, Casey, I'm assuming is yeah, atheist or agnostic, or whatever mm -hmm. in, let's say maybe not Casey, cause you know her so well, but another friend or family member that you trusted, but had the same belief system as you came to you as like, Jay, like, look, man, you know me, <laughs> this is not me, but I'm here. Cause like, 
this happened. Is that changing? I think, or are you just going to say you're crazy and you should probably go drink? I mean, I'd probably offer a drink, but I think, yeah, I, I mean, I can't deny <laughs> that there's a little bit of different context there that you have to consider, like, right? Even if, even if I did, like, you'd still be like, look, Matt's like, I love you. I want to believe you, but I don't believe what you believe. And I feel like you want to believe what is happening. Whereas someone that's in your belief system, I think you'd be more in like, like we all are, you'd be more inclined to be like, okay, sure. And the belief system aside, like, I think for me, the part that's different is the understanding of I absolutely, and this for me is the crux of this whole situation, right? I have to feel as non-believer or someone that does not have faith in much, I have to look at it and go, I need to know for a fact that I have the ability to save you in order for me to have that sacrificial thought process, right? But I would be much more inclined to lean into the savior mindset, right? Of if I know me making a choice to sacrifice myself or something that I care about saves 100% without doubt, saves even one person that I care about, then I have to think about it. But four strangers come into my house and tell me that if I sacrifice myself for the person that I love the most in this world or two, one of the two people I love the most in this planet, and I can't, like, it's a possibility, I can't rely on that possibility enough for me to make that sacrifice for anyone. Because the things that matter to me, even at the end of the day, if the world were to end, at least I'm sitting next to the two people that I care about the most in this world or the four or however you want to look at it while it ends. You know what I mean? Like that's my, so for me, it's about the knowledge of it. So four strangers come in and, and I was waiting for like, I wanted not Eric, but the other one what was his name. Andrew, Andrew. I wanted Andrew so bad to be like, we're not doing this. We're just going to sit here and watch you off yourselves. Like I would have calmed down the instant, like two of them died by their own hands. And they've consistently said, and Batista's character, to his credit, was a very nice man. They were cleaning the freaking cabin. They're wiping the floors. They're being very considerate. Considerate would have been like, "Can I just play my games?" Like, yeah, it's just, just like you just leave the TV on, and uh, we can watch whatever you want. We're just gonna sit here for the next however long, and once you're all dead, we'll go hang out at the lake. I, <laughs> yeah, I was waiting for some response. Problem solved. That would have been my thought. Once I realized you're not actually gonna hurt me or not kill me anyway. I have to do that myself. Drag Dude. yourself for as long as you want, but eventually you're going to have to off yourself because that's what your dreams are telling you you need to do. I was waiting for that line. That's what I wanted to see. I'm surprised there was uh, not more like bargaining happening. Like, uh, well, why are you $2.5 million? Everybody's got a price, right? Sure. Like if I'm saving the world or you think I'm going to save the world, like I got to have a little bit of something to, to at least entice me. Yeah. I'm not going to do it because I'm an asshole with this. It's just average ego. Joe's though. Well, that's the thing. Like find someone with some authority and some power. If I'm going to save the world, I want to be recognized for it. I need that validation. I want to make sure that uh, if we do make the decision, the people who are left behind aren't, you know, unsung heroes, so to speak, because poor <laughs> Andrew and Wen just kind of go to the diner. Yeah. It's two of them. I was like, no, mm-mm. if this is a real thing and you're here, I want to see how much planning you put into it. Sell me on it, essentially. Give me a reason better than saving the world because that's not going to get you very far. (laughs) You're just as twisted as me, and I love it. Just in different ways. It's beautiful. 
makes me. I, mean, I know I've asked all these questions, but it, like putting myself in in that scenario, yeah, I believe in in God and things. But as JJ talked about with faith, it doesn't mean like yeah. I don't. I was just saying, happened to me, man of faith. Not, what would you like, do, buddy? It's not like I'm like for my little family right now. It's me, Tay, and our dog. Like if anyone's going, it's definitely going to be me. Mm. But it doesn't mean I'm like, oh yeah, I'm like I'm done. Someone's definitely one person from the that crew of four is definitely dying. I'm sure two people are dying before I'm dying. Hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. There's just no way, no way in God's earth, and. Just because I believe there's a higher power doesn't mean I believe in that scenario. Like I'm not sure. saying I'm perfect there either. Well, and I would even uh-huh. venture to say, like we talk about faith and I brought it up to a certain degree because I think it does have an impact on how it could. Let me not say it does because I think it depends on the person, right? But I think it could have an impact on how you view this whole process, especially at a certain point, but, and how you don't, at least it does for me or my lack of I mean, it if does. I, if they came to my family and I was... 65 or 70 sure. and I believe in what I believe in that I'm going to see Tay again. And I, there's an afterlife to this. I could see myself being much more willing than I am at the age of 31 where all of the things that I would have done at that age haven't even happened yet for me. Yeah. So I think there's a different perspective that would be in my head. Yeah. And I'm not saying that all people of faith are going to be like, I'll off myself or someone else, I, you know, to save the world. Cause I think, like you said, there's a certain level of you have to get to a point. That, and it was even the same with Eric. Like he had to get to the point that you had to watch all four of them go to make sense of it and to really believe in it. Even though you can see the progression that he goes through throughout the movie to get to that point and the whole seeing of the person in the light and all that stuff. But like, yeah, I mean, it's just like, and I guess that's another piece of this movie that's very interesting to me. And the one it's all these ideas and thoughts of we just, you know, what would you do in this situation that made me download the book? Like I have the book. I haven't started it yet, but I'm going to read it because this source material is so interesting to me because these are the kind of natural dilemmas that I'm like, this is intriguing. Like what would you do kind of situation is very fun. And like you said, the acting in this movie was so good across the board. Rupert Grint was scary. Yeah. It was like you said, Alec, like watching, Dave Batista be this kindly giant that I imagined him. I was like, dude, I want him to be my second grade teacher. Like you'd be terrified when you first walk in, you're like, Oh, this guy's scary. And then you're like, this guy's cool as fuck. Like I want to hang out with this dude. But like, yeah, I mean, it was cool. I think it was even less of that for me because there's that other comedy he's in where he's supposed to be like a secret agent or whatever (laughs) that we reviewed. Yeah. I want or whatever. Yeah. And like, he's softer in that with like a, the funny side that you come to expect from David Teese. But this one, he was soft, but if there was a joke, maybe there was, I don't know if there was a joke. If there was, it wasn't it was a comedy joke. I really don't feel like there was any. No. And that's to me what was different. I've never seen him in a role where he truly just played a character in a drama basically. And yeah. he did amazing. He did oh, well yeah. enough to the point where he's going to get more roles because he did it and he delivered and that's what's different to me. I've never seen him in that light before. And if he can do that and throw the comedy in there, dude's going places. And that's where I tied it back to his comment about Drax, that he's kind of, he's ready to be done being that character. And then seeing this movie, I'm like, yeah, dude, you can time put that guy to bed because you, you don't really have to act very much. You just could be a stupid idiot, <laughs> but you can really act. Like, let me see you in some other stuff. Yeah. 
like Jonathan Groff, the guy that plays Eric, like I love him too. Like he's an amazing actor, beautiful voice, can sing the shit out of so like watching that, but I didn't know who other than Rupert Grant. And I only know him because everybody and their dog loves Harry Potter. That's the only reason I knew who that I've never seen him in anything other than this movie. So it was really interesting to watch, but even he was like terrifyingly good. And so everybody, oh. even the little girl was killed it in this movie. And I don't think yeah. the movie works if they don't. So kudos to the casting director, because this movie doesn't work without the way that they made you feel throughout this movie. I liked it more than I thought. I went in very skeptical. M night Shyamalan worries me every time I watch a movie from him, but I came out going, God damn it. I liked that movie, <laughs> <laughs> but I do like your take on the four horsemen. I like how they could have tied that even. And it, cause I think that would have given it some substance beyond just this really shitty thing happening. And you get to the point where you reach that level of, okay, we're going to confirm that this is real and here's why they were doing it and who they were. It felt super rushed at the end to just get through it so that we knew who they were and why they were there. I'm with you. I think they were doing all these flashbacks, which I loved the flashbacks of how they got their daughter, how they got when and how they grew together for each one of their flashbacks. You could have tied them in some way to the four horsemen so that it made sense. And then even shown the dichotomy of these characters, even in Rupert's an asshole or whatever his name was as an asshole. But at the same time, here's a piece of him. Like they were talking about the four parts of human nature. So you could see he's war and he's whatever he, his character malice, malice right? So it's like, I think I would have enjoyed that a little more. And the movie could have been a little long. I fucking hate saying that, but. To Madsen's point, the pacing was good. And I think to add some depth to the story, another 20 minutes makes it a two-hour movie. And I really think you could have had some really good, even more depth than we already got with these characters. So anyway, that's probably my biggest bitch about it is it felt rushed at the end. But I'm excited to read the book. I'll let you guys know how it is. Sweet. And like my favorite part of this movie was when they're doing kind of the wrap up, right? Eric and Andrew and Eric mentions like, maybe this is the way it always is, mm. right? The families throughout history and time are preventing the apocalypse by making the sacrifice. And now it was just our turn. Sure. Restoring so that stuff that gets me the kind of like the deep thinking almost like, Oh, hmm, you know, and tie it into, you know, we have tragedies in our world. Like, you know, it kind of fits that kind of theme where maybe this is something that could possibly happen. Mm -hmm. um, and I, so I liked that, but then it was like a moment that was there and gone. Yeah. I feel like you could have even tied it in a little bit more if you wanted to, right? You have Andrew and when they go to this diner and you know, there could be like an old guy or an old woman off in the corner who kind mm. of gives him a little bit of a nod or something, mm. right? You don't have to have any dialogue like recognizes like. That would have right? been dope as fuck. And so it doesn't have to be simple. They could just be sitting there, tip of the hat or something, get up and walk out. Um, yeah, like some old man like, walks up and pays for their meal. Oh, yeah. That would have been dope. to show that they are just, you know, the next link in this chain, so yeah. to speak. So this is why I talk about, like, I shouldn't be fixing movies, but I think I can every single time M. Night Shenanigan gets up and makes one. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's fair. No, I, uh, you know, I do it all the time. So I'm, I fully support the 
re-editing and rewriting of movies. But I, yeah, that would have been really cool. Like, like you said, I, I think there was enough room and this movie was done well enough in the hour and 40 minutes that it had. If you'd done it right, you could have added another 20 minutes that would have made the movie even better. I don't think you want to go any more than that. I just think a few minutes with each character that give you a little extra level of what they are and who they are, I think would have been cool. So, all right, should we rate this thing? Do it. Um, I'll go first. Ooh. I like this movie more than I would, thought I was going to. I think the story's cool. The idea and the concept is very different. And I, it touches on some real life concepts and issues that, and like I said, the biggest one for me was that realization of very few of us, if any, pay much attention to anything outside of our own circle of influence. Right. And the people that do, I think of like reporters and, but they're doing it for money. They're not doing it because they give a shit what's going on in the world. They're doing it to get ratings and they're doing it most of them anyway. So I, and that's a very cynical thought for me, but that's what I thought of was this is cool. Like we should focus more on what's going on outside of our own spheres and and the tragedies that are happening in the world. And it ties together very interestingly with this tragedy in Turkey where these kind of things happen and we all go thoughts and prayers and we may donate some money here and there. And some of us, that's all we can do, but how much do we give thought to the people that are actually impacted by that? And then what will we do to help them out? It's an interesting question. So I love the things that it, the emotions and the thoughts that it evoked but it, it has M night Shyamalan flaws. Like, and the fact that I have to look at his goofy face as some TV chef, like pissed me off <laughs> textbook. Narcissism. It's crispy chicken though, man. Yeah, uh, JJ, crispy chicken. I was so, I'm always so irritated whenever he puts himself in it. It's just, I don't like it when most direct, like people, most directors do it in that kind of an obvious way. You're like, Oh look, it's M night doo-doo head. And so I'm okay with a subtle nod, but it, there were flaws. Like I think they didn't, they had an opportunity to make it even more deep and put more context behind everything and make even think clean everything up, make it make more sense. And they didn't, but overall I enjoyed the movie. I even came home from with Casey and I, I told her, I was like, you want to come see this movie with me? What is it? It's M night Shyamalan. Nope. <laughs> and so when I got home, I told her, I was like, well, you should probably watch this movie when it's streaming because it's interesting and it's thought provoking. So I'm going to give it a three. I think it's a better than average movie, but I do think it has its flaws. And I, I, it's, yeah, just a little above average. It's not like something I'm like, oh shit, this was amazing. The context and the idea was amazing, but they didn't pull it off as good as they could have. So there it is. Three for me. I would watch this again, though, just for the acting alone and the emotion that it, that it evokes. I would, I would watch it again. Alec. All right. This was a tricky one because I've been toying with the idea of, where to rate this and you know like you said jj very thought-provoking first thing when did on god theater was i turned oh she'd be like would you do that and she's like oh absolutely 100 i'm still young <laughs> and i was like well fuck you too man yeah. <laughs> i love that <laughs> like shoot because i was sitting there going like this is kind of a dumb premise like who in their right mind would sacrifice their family based off of four strangers throughout most of this movie i was going this is an easy Easy conversation. No. Yeah. No. You want to see how many times I can say no in a minute type of a thing? Yeah. Like, you're not going to break me down based on this stuff. And I like the skepticism that Andrew had where he's like, I've been studying these X9 cases. This, you know, report was pre-recorded. Like, it's you can see all these signs. And so for me, a little dip back into religion or whatever, or spiritual stuff is like, the difference for me between a miracle and something else is just the belief in it. Mm. 
right? A belief in a miracle versus it just being an event type of a thing. So I was like, this is a very cool thing because you have these group of strangers who believe in this happening. And then you have the skeptic in Andrew who's like, bro, this has been going on for months. Like you have to do better if you want me to believe this. So I really enjoyed that dichotomy. But then it was like the end and the wrap up. I was sitting there going, oh my gosh, dude, you could have made this so much better. So it was a very tricky situation. So I'm going to go two and a half right in the middle of the road. I don't know if I'll watch this again. Maybe if it's streaming, just throw it on for a bit. But I'm not going to actively seek it out unless I'm looking for some Dave Batista. Yeah. Fair enough. All right, Madison, bring it home. Yeah, I'll keep it short. Give it a two and a half. I think it's right there in the middle. Compelling enough, but didn't deliver in the ways that I want. I think we talked about some areas we tweak. Certainly thought-provoking. If you're not going to go see this in theaters and it's out streaming, I do think it's worth watching at home. It'll definitely give you yourself something to think about or something to talk about with your your friend or significant other or family members, whatever it may be. And for that alone, that's usually what I look for in a movie. If I'm not going for the sheer entertainment value for the visuals or like stupid funny movie, hmm. usually what I go to is, is I want to watch something that makes me think, that gives me something to talk about. And this is honestly one of my favorite podcast episodes we've probably done in a very long time just because we've talked about things beyond acting and the visuals and the four by three aspect ratio and and different (laughs) things like that we've talked about very thought-provoking decisions and this is why i started the podcast at the beginning because my favorite thing to do was go see a movie with my dad and then go either eat like a meal or get ice cream or whatever and talk about movies and Movies that can do that, I really enjoy. Now, this movie is not at the production level and execution level of some of the others that I've loved in the past, but it's definitely on the playing field of it gives you something to talk about and think about. So two and a half. Yeah, this is one of those weird ones. We've had a couple of them like this over the last three years where the movie was okay, but the conversation was fantastic. And that like that was definitely... like I looked over, I was like, oh shit, we've been going for like 37 minutes about this movie for real. But... Like Marvel, Marvel movies are great and yeah. they're some of the blockbusters, but they're rarely, if ever, going to get you to talk about a decision where you're like, well, because I'm not the Hulk. I'm not Thor. Like, yeah. I'm not fighting Thanos. You can think about like, oh, what would you do if you're Captain America? And like, well, like, but this circumstance, you could be real life people in a cabin. People are going to show up there. The world's going to have its stakes and it feels different and it feels relevant when you got to sacrifice so many you love. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah, it was fun. Good conversation. It was uh, very, wasn't expecting that from this movie, but the conversation <laughs> was fun. Uh, there it is. That's our uh, verdict. Well, I haven't said that in a while. Alec, tell everybody where they can find us. Happy to. Thank you for tuning into our review of M. Night Schnitzel's Knock at the Cabin. This was very much a classic M. Night Shyamalongi film. Uh, tense, odd, and a bit wacky is all we really can expect from the man. I must confess, I am curious, though. If you have made it this far into the video, go ahead and drop your favorite M. Night Shining Bright film in the comments below because honestly, we crave the interaction. If you are enjoying the content we put out, guys, please leave us a like. It helps us grow the channel, and uh, we like the validation as well. You can find our content on every major streaming platform, including Stitcher, Ghana, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube. If you guys are new to the channel or an old veteran and are interested in supporting our podcasting addiction, consider joining us on Patreon, where every dollar spent goes towards helping Alec learn how to pronounce M. Night Smiling Dawn's name. Special thanks to our current patron, Partly Cloudy, with a chance of moist, intimate weather. That is neither a shorter name nor an easier name. 
Well played, sir. Well played. JJ's kind of giving me the stick eye, so without further ado, I will send it back to Jidge, the king of swing, the podcasting babe himself, JJ. Oh, man. I M. Love Night Shamla Dong. <laughs> yeah, Shamiling Dongs. I, I just was waiting for M. Night Shamalama Ding Dong. Like, <laughs> oh, my goodness. Or M. Night Shamwow. Like, there were so many. <laughs> you go for hours just on that dude's last name. And I can't wait to see what Charles creates out of his patron name for that. So, because <laughs> you know it's coming. And he pulls such great, co- like, shit from our podcast. Like, that moist, intimate weather comes directly from an episode where Matson said intimate weather instead of inclement weather. Like, <laughs> in fact, he commented on the YouTube right after it on plane. He's like, what is intimate weather? <laughs> <laughs> intimate weather is a a clear skyline that you have a either a rising or setting sun you're there with whoever you enjoy good company with you got a good drink or good food and you're just having an intimate time with your surroundings there you go according to charles it's also very moist yeah that's what he's like <laughs> sounds moist <laughs> i mean well, it can usually, be <laughs> Usually places like that happen to be in tropical places and it is therefore more moist. So I love that he goes politically correct. I was thinking if you're doing it right, it should be. (laughs) 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 All right. Well, we've said enough, I think. Um, So with that, as always, we appreciate you tuning in. We will catch you on the next one. Bye. Hasta la vista, baby. See the magic out.